Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, the book of Nehemiah, we're reading from it in our first reading, is not one of the better known books of the Bible, but the central lesson in it is, I think, especially relevant for our times. Who was Nehemiah? He was a Jew of the 5th century B.C. who was serving as cupbearer to Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. Remember, the Jewish nation had been conquered by the Babylonians in 587 B.C. and the people carried off into exile. It was the most devastating event in the history of ancient Israel. Subsequently, those Babylonians were overrun by the Persians and under the Persian monarchs, Cyrus, Xerxes, and Artaxerxes, the Jews were gradually allowed to return to their homeland. So as the narrative of the book of Nehemiah gets underway, Nehemiah is making a special request of this benign king that he serves. Listen, may I return to Jerusalem and help to repair the capital city of my people. Graciously, the king accedes. Accordingly, the book of Nehemiah is about the restoration of Israel, the reconstitution of a city and a nation after a time of destruction. Upon his arrival in Jerusalem, Nehemiah engaged in a careful inspection of the city walls. He noticed to his alarm and his chagrin that they remained in the same pitiful condition in which they had been left by the Babylonians, breached, broken down, burned by fire. And so, with enormous energy and clarity of purpose, he then drew the demoralized stragglers and refugees together and he told them, listen, you see the trouble we're in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem so that we may no longer suffer disgrace. Ah, there's the leitmotif of the book of Nehemiah. The next several chapters of the book are dedicated to a very detailed description of this massive rebuilding project. The returned Jews now reconstructing their capital city. We hear about the assemblings of beams and bolts, the fixing of doors and gates, the cleansing of pools, the repairing of homes. Mind you, in the ancient world, walls were of decisive importance. For without them, a city was entirely vulnerable to the attacks of its enemies and to the infiltration of less than savory figures. The wall was the principal means by which a town 
protected its territorial, and if I can put it this way, its moral integrity. And this is precisely why the destruction of the wall of the holy city so saddened and infuriated Nehemiah and roused him and his people to such energetic exertion. Walls which separate what is inside from what is outside, which define and delimit, which keep in and keep out, are symbolic of identity, both personal and communal. Listen, porous and compromised boundaries conduce toward a flimsy sense of self and community. Several generations ago in this country, Catholics were fairly well-defined people, marked by certain very definite practices. No meat on Fridays, novenas, rosaries, frequent confession, etc. They were defined by certain beliefs, the Trinity, the spiritual significance of Mary and the saints, the authority of the Pope, to name just a few. And all of this practice and belief distinguished Catholics from other ethnic and religious groups. What followed from this definition was a corporate cohesiveness, a strength of character and a clarity of mission and purpose. Now, in the years following Vatican II, the years I was coming of age, the church rather radically accommodated itself to modernity, embracing the mores and beliefs of the secular culture, emphasizing at every turn inclusivity, openness to other perspectives. Having come of age, as I say, at that time, I can testify that the church often assumed an apologetic, hand-wringing posture and tended to bring its beliefs and practices before the bar of the modern culture for evaluation. Much of this, of course, was justified through appeal to Pope John XXIII's famous conciliar image of opening the windows. Opening the windows of the medieval church in order to let in the fresh air of modernity. Now, whatever John XXIII meant by that trope, we can, I think, with Nehemiah in mind, add this clarification. He might have urged us to open the windows, but he certainly didn't tell us to tear down the walls. But this elimination of defining marks, this rendering porous of the walls of Catholicism, is, I'm afraid, precisely what happened in many cases and in too many circles. And it led, listen now, to the same problem that Nehemiah noticed long ago in regard to Jerusalem. A loss of integrity and moral purpose. When the walls of the church become too porous, when they're compromised, the church can lose its identity. It can forget who it is. One way to interpret the papacy of John Paul II is according to this pattern of Nehemiah. Much of John Paul II's work, I think, was a shoring up of the walls of Catholicism so that the identity and purpose of the church might be strengthened. Now, as I've said many times before, neither Israel nor the church of Jesus Christ is meant to be a sect 
crouching defensively against the world. The ultimate purpose of God's chosen people is, as Isaiah saw, to be a light to the nations, salt of the earth, the agent by which the world is drawn into the kingdom of God. Hans Urs von Balthasar was quite right to speak in the years just before the council of, quote, the raising of the bastions, R-A-Z-I-N-G, the knocking down of the bastions of the church. That is to say, breaking down the barriers that kept the church from letting out its transformative energy. Now, you might be thinking, I'm kind of puzzled now. As, as, as he placed me on the horns of a dilemma, so walls are good, walls are bad. No, no, let me explain. I've placed us instead, I think, in the heart of a paradox. The church can perform its mission of transforming the world if and only if it has a clear sense of its own identity. If and only if it attends diligently to its own walls, will it be able to bring its distinctive mode of thought and practice to the wider society? We resolve this paradox far too easily when we say that since we're meant to evangelize the world, we should ape the world and its style. Mm -mm. Robert Frost, the great poet, articulated the proper tension memorably when he observed, quote, Good walls make good neighbors. The church must know who she is before she can undertake her proper mission of telling the world what it ought to be. That's the paradox. That's the tension. We love the world. Good. Therefore, we knock down our walls. No, no, no. We attend to the walls. We attend to who we are. And that's how we're able to love the world. In the 8th chapter of the book of Nehemiah, and this is our reading for today, after the description of the upbuilding of a city, we find an account of what Israel did behind its newly constituted walls. The entire people gathered together, from the elders to those children old enough to understand, and they listened as Ezra, the priest, proclaimed the Torah to them, the first five books of the Bible. They stood, the scripture says, from early morning until midday, and they took in the law and its interpretation. And you think you listen to long homilies. This ancient story is reminding us that Israel was a people formed by a very definite set of narratives practices, and laws. We, the new Israel, are determined in a similar way by the stories of creation and fall, the promise of the Messiah, the exhortation of the prophets, the commands of the Sermon on the Mount. We are illumined by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the emergence against all odds of the church. These are the laws and practices and stories that define us as a people. And it's appropriate that we gather behind the walls that identify us and listen to these stories. 
In this regard, we church people are like a group of kids who become baseball players through a whole series of exercises, drills, moves, stories, commands, which effectively place baseball in their bodies and their minds. We're like a, a bevy of immigrants who are assimilated into the American way of being, moving, acting, deciding, and speaking through a long process of cultural formation. I might have mentioned to you before, Stanley Hauerwas, the Methodist theologian, who's a devoted pacifist, nevertheless speaks very admiringly of the manner in which the military academies and training centers manage a thorough transformation of the young people who come to them. When a young kid is through with boot camp or basic training, he looks, speaks, thinks, and acts like a soldier. He knows in his bones he's entered into a distinctive community with clear boundaries, demands, and identity. Now, in light of these practices outlined in the book of Nehemiah, we can see why 70% of Catholics absenting themselves from Sunday Mass is far from a minor problem. Trying to become a person of the church without attending the liturgy, without receiving the Eucharist, without hearing the Word of God, is about as counterindicated as trying to become a baseball player by staying away from practice and ignoring the basic disciplines and rules of the game. And therefore, friends, this distant figure of Nehemiah, this governor of Judea, this rebuilder of the walls of the holy city, speaks, I think, as an important prophet to our time. Let's attend to him. Let's listen to him. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.